Yes, tonight we're kicking off the new series uh, on the book of Psalms. And what you just saw is the quintessential picture of what this entire quarter is going to be really all about. You see, when you build a boat like that, you know, on the top it looks pretty fancy. It's a restaurant boat. And if you're a tourist visiting this Asian country, you're probably intrigued by the gastronomical delicacies that were about to be offered to you at the table. But never at any point while you're getting on a boat do you think about looking what's below the waterline. And yet the reality is what's below the waterline is what about to determine what maybe the rest of your life is going to be really all about. As you saw in the picture, once the boat capsizes, you see the bottom of it. It's this color of light blue and there is nothing there. For all sense and purposes, it looks like a little styrofoam plate that is floating on the stormy waters. Yet what keeps the boat, this boat, or any other boat in proper shape is the slide that we're going to put up there. It's the little thing called the keel. The keel is the thing that determines the weight below the waterline. It moves the center of gravity so much below the surface of the water that when the storms start to come, the boat is able to remain balanced. And when the keel is not there, when there is no weight below the waterline, when the storm comes, the boat is bound to capsize. And what we're going to talk about tonight, what we're going to talk about for the entire quarter as we go through the book of Psalms, is about this simple idea of what is below our waterline of faith. You know, on the top, things might look pretty snazzy. Our outward appearance as followers of Jesus could be pretty stellar. Our faith might look very polished and shiny. And yet, if somebody were to look below the waterline, the question is, is there some sort of a weight that would hold that faith in the midst of the storms of life? You see, first quarter, fall quarter, we, we, we took the heart of God and we ripped it wide open. And for an entire quarter, we're looking from different angles, looking at the character of God, looking who, who he really is, and painting this marvelous picture of our Savior, of our King. And then last quarter, we came in and we said, if this God is so magnificent, if this God is so amazing, so beyond comprehension, if he's so good that makes sense for us to follow him with every ounce of our being, that every area of our life needs to be surrendered to him, that as followers of Jesus, we ought to burn our boats and we ought to follow him. And as we started this year by ripping open, wide open the heart of God, we're going to end this year by ripping wide open our own hearts and seeing what's in there. And there's no better guide towards that than a book of Psalms. As John Calvin, one of the reformers, would say is that Psalms is the anatomy of all the parts of the human soul. That every emotion, every motive, every desire of a human heart is present right in there. In many ways, the book of Psalms was a prayer book of the Jewish nation. There are 150 Psalms that have been intentionally collected and they're a means of guiding the people of God for centuries into praying back to God. 
And we're going to embark on a similar journey. And we're going to invite you to journey along. On your seats, there are handouts, three-page simple handouts that will kind of guide you through. These handouts have been put together by some of the mentors in the seminary that I've attended, so none of that comes from us, but we are, we're borrowing some of those resources. But at the end of it, you have the reading plan. Well, if you were to set yourself up and you would journey with us in next 10 weeks, you can go through the entire book of Psalms by reading. That's an invitation to you for us as a movement to journey together and to pray together. And the way we're going to set it up is this week and next week, we're going to look through Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, which are almost like doorways into the book of Psalms. And then we're going to look at several different types of Psalms that could be found in a book of Psalms. Different types of Psalms, because a lot of times the way we approach prayer is we enter into the presence of God and we say, this is what I feel right now, God. What do I do with my feelings? Psalms are our wise mentors of saying, instead of bringing our feelings to prayer, why don't you learn to feel what the psalmist is feeling? And learn to discipline your emotions rather than letting your emotions run your faith. So no matter what we feel, we enter into psalms in a disciplined way day by day and learn to experience and learn to relate to what these wise guides are going through. And tonight we're going to look at Psalm chapter 1. It's probably one of the famous psalms. It sits at the opening of this book. And in it, we find the direct answer to our question that's going to guide us for the rest of the quarter as to what is below our waterline. What kind of a weight will anchor our faith? And with courage. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Delighted to be back together. And Father, I am, uh, I've lived long enough to know that uh, when you have 600 or so people gathered together, uh, Lord, we come from different places emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Uh, Lord, some of us enter this room right now hurting. Uh, This break has been extremely painful for us. Home sometimes is the scariest place to go to. Some of us are barely making it here. Uh, We're crawling in, and spiritually speaking, we're we're bleeding. Uh, Lord, some of us are coming in, having some of the peak experiences with you. You're very real, you're tangible, you're present. Some of us are coming in weary. Some of us are excited. Lord, no matter where we are, would you wrap your arms around us as a community tonight? And Lord, I pray that Psalm 1 will become yet another means to worship you. Worship our King with open doors. Where friends and visitors are welcome to come in and join us. But what they will find here is a group of people who are really serious about you. 
So, Lord, we ask that your spirit will do his work in our hearts tonight, as always. Pray this in Jesus' name. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. One of the small ways that we know that this psalm encapsulates a lot is that the way the Jewish mind a lot of times works, it puts these little small details that sometimes as English speakers we come in to read the text, we start to miss. The first word of the psalm starts with the letter Aleph, which is the first letter of the alphabet. The last word of the psalm begins with the letter Tav, which is the last letter of the alphabet in Hebrew. So it's everything from Aleph to Tav, everything in between, the entire human life is encapsulated here. Everything you need to know what it really means to be a human being is found right here in these six short verses. This psalm opens up with a phrase that blessed is the man who. And the word therefore blessed is the word ashrei. You know, it's, there's different Hebrew words for, for being blessed. This one specifically deals with being blessed on a horizontal plane. It doesn't really involve vertical relationship with God. It's almost like psalmist takes a word that is commonly thrown out in the culture around him. It would be like today saying like he hit a jackpot in his life. And he says, do you really want to know what it really looks like when a human being hits a jackpot? Do you really want to know when somebody has it really made? Do you really want to know what it really looks like a successful human life? And here it is. He's going to paint that picture. It's in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the experience I had when I was a little kid. When I was 10 years old, and a part of that team was my hero, my soccer hero, named by a guy by the name of Paolo Rossi. In the quarterfinal match against Brazil, he stunned the Brazilian team by scoring three times against a team that everybody thought was going to win the World Cup. And he proceeded to do the same thing till he scored the final victory goal against Germany in the final game. And he gave Italy its well-deserved victory. As a little kid, I had subscribed to this journal magazine. I had no idea. I didn't know German. All I knew that every month they would have a picture of a different soccer player as a centerfold in the middle of the journal. Month after month, I waited Till finally, an issue came, and right there in the middle was a full-blown picture of Paolo Rossi. And I pulled it out, and I nailed it on my wall in my bedroom. 
I mean, I was not the greatest soccer player. Uh, the way you look at me right now, you might say, I don't, cannot ever imagine you on a soccer field. Uh, there was a day where I was smaller and younger. And I was not the fastest kid, but I loved to play forward. And I had kind of like intuitive sense of where to position myself to be able to score. And in a lot of ways, when I looked at Paolo Rossi, he did the same thing. And I took this picture and I hang it on the wall and said, this is who I want to be when I grow up. This is a picture of my soccer dream. One day, when I'm older, I want to be like him. And then this picture starts to define and shape what I do during the practice. The way I juggle the ball hour after hour after hour. The way I dribble when there's nobody around. The way I run sprints. The way I build endurance. In the same way, Psalm 1 comes in and says, Who do you want to be when you grow up in your faith? One day when you're older, when you're mature in your faith, who do you want to be? And this is what I call the divine plagiarism. It says, we'll give you an answer. This is who God wants you to be. Here's a picture for you to hang on your wall. And let this picture then shape who you are. And right there from the get-go, he starts to paint this picture. Right from the get-go, he tells us that there are certain things that if you want to live the kind of a life that will hit the jackpot, if you want to live the kind of a life that in God's eyes will be considered successful. There are certain things you will not do. You see, in English, we, we have rhyming words. In Hebrew, they have rhyming thoughts. So what we find here in verse 1 is what I call progressive parallelism. It starts out, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you see the progression? Is somebody who is walking, then somebody who is standing, and finally somebody who is sitting. It's like this idea of slowing down. And he says, you start out by walking in the counsel of the wicked. It's a slippery slope. You're going to end up somewhere. You see, a lot of times when we think about these words, wicked and sinner, we think of them either in terms of Broadway shows or the oval preachers. See, Jewish mind thinks of them differently. Jewish mind thinks in terms of the end time realities, the outlooks on life. Listen to Psalm 10, the way it defines what biblically it means to be wicked. It says, For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain for curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked doesn't seek him. And all his thoughts are, there is no God. See, biblically speaking, wicked is somebody who intentional. The Bible doesn't know such a thing as existential atheists. You know, Bible assumes that everybody believes that there is a God. Some kind of a God. That you will eventually, at the end of the day, worship somebody. So for the Bible and the biblical writers, it's not a problem. You will worship somebody. It's just an atheist for them. A wicked person is somebody who says no to Yahweh. I want nothing to do with you. 
And he says, you tune your ear to those who intentionally ignore Yahweh. The progression is certain. Next thing you know, you're going to be standing in the midst of sinners. And sinners, again, this is not a moral term. Sinner, the Hebrew word there is somebody who has missed the mark. Or in the book of Proverbs, is somebody who was in a hurry to get somewhere and made the wrong turn and ended up in the wrong place. It's kind of like the show The Office. You know, when Michael and Dwight are kind of trying to get somewhere, an episode where he's trying to follow the GPS. <laughs> and Dwight tells him to go further and then to the right. And Michael says the machine knows best and makes a sharp right turn and ends up in the lake. <laughs> it's that idea. You know, you start going down the slippery slope. You find yourself in the places you shouldn't be. Your GPS is out of whack. You're in the places with people doing the kinds of things you never imagined you would be doing. And you end up sitting at the seat of scoffers. Scoffers are, and the seat is the, it's a place of authority. Now you suddenly become the teacher. Now you become somebody who's educating others into the ways that ignore and disregard Yahweh. In the last 20 years, I've seen hundreds of students come through these doors. And pretty much every month, I get an email, a phone call, or a text. You see, just a few days ago, I got another one of those emails where he said, after I left college, one thing led to another, whatever that means. And he said, I ended up in a turbulent marriage that ended up in an affair and divorce. And he's like, but now I'm finally getting back to the church. You see, friends, I've calculated, I've looked at it, and this is not a scientific data, but the reality is that one out of three of us that are sitting here right now in 10 years won't give a rip about God. That among six or 700 of us that are sitting here, there's going to be a couple hundred of us that will not give a second thought to Jesus you see that's a heavy thought because right now we cannot imagine how could that be but yet that's a picture on the wall and psalmist says there's certain things you do and certain things you don't you don't go down a slippery slope the path that leads you away from Yahweh but on the contrary what you do the picture has somebody who delights himself in the law of Yahweh. You see, the word there for law, a lot of times, like those of us have grown up in Protestant homes, the, the law is like this big anathema. But St. Augustine will tell us there's a big difference between being under the law and being in the law. You see, being in the law is a good thing because the word for the law here is Torah. And the word Torah comes from the word yare, which means a javelin. So the law is God's javelin that he launches into your and my heart. Because he doesn't want you and I to walk away from him. He longs for you and I to know him. He longs for you and I to experience him. And he says, the one... to God's instruction 
That's what the law really means. And delight. He says he, he meditates on it day and night. The word for meditate. You see, I know what it's like. I like good food. You see, I remember it was a number of years ago. We're about to celebrate Laura's 30th birthday. And my parents had given us a couple hundred dollars. And my dad said, why don't you just kind of a blow it. Take her to the best restaurant you can imagine. And we did. But you got to understand. I mean, part of it is that by nature, I am just an Eastern European redneck that married up. You see, I mean, I married a woman who was majoring in fine arts. I mean, she was not just an art major, it's fine arts. So last 17 years have been about trying to weave this word fine into my life. You see, I was the political science major. I mean, how many poli-sci majors do we have here? our curriculums I mean where's the science in there <laughs> cup of coffee and put so much cream and so much sugar what kind of a reaction might take place then and the right answer is yummy <laughs> and then if you do that then you pass the chemistry and there's no more you know no more science for you you're done you know, we just talk a lot and we write a lot of papers that nobody's ever going to read. <laughs> so you take the poli-sci major, the pre-unemployment guy, and he marries the fine arts major. <laughs> Friends, after 17 years, after 17 years of trying to domesticate me, I still prefer hot dogs and movies where cars are blown up with some kind of predictable regularity. But, so, but we go to this really fancy restaurant called the Refectory, okay? And I think the, the, the Refectory is set up to torture people like me. I mean, of course, of course we sit down, and the waiter comes in. The waiter's always tall, so you kind of, you're like, kind of looking up like this. So you feel like a little kid. And he hands me this menu. I mean, I look at this thing, and I'm like... doers these are they're gonna be hot <laughs> so then of course with sherry wine vinegar and leek fondue and I'm looking at him and like that sound that that you made for the word leek I mean I didn't know it was a noun I, I was more used to that's those the combination of sounds to be more in a verbal sense that's something you take when you have a little break from the, you know, society. Um, and I look at him like, do you have mile high nachos with extra sour cream? And he's like, no. I was like, okay, I'll take that fondue or whatever that is. Well, then it's like they bring the second menu. I look at this one and I'm like, what is this? I mean, it's almost like every item you start reading and there's like, wait, there is hope. I understand it. Wait, I, oh, okay, you just lost me with the rest of the kind of a sauce you're giving me. So, of course, then he comes out and he says, could I tell you about our daily special? 
and I'm looking at him and I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of stuck right now between this shallot Bordelais quail and the bourbon brine antelope. So sure, go ahead. And he tells me that they have this Dover Soleil and Scottish Salmon Duo with a truffle duplex and a tarragon Beaujolais sauce. And I looked at him like, I have no idea what he just said, but sounds really tasty. So please give it to me. I still to this day don't know what a Dover Soleil is. I think it's some kind of a fish, if you might. But the reality was that... You know, it's this idea that he painted a picture that is very compelling. And he knew what he was talking about. And my mouth starts to drool at that. Because I like tasty food. (laughs) And Psalmist does the same thing to you and I. He says, really, the only thing you need to do is to come hungry. Come hungry and Yahweh will feed you. Yahweh will feed you, and not only he will feed you, but he will do something else for you. He will shape you into a certain kind of a person. And the kind of a person that Yahweh envisions is, could be described by the image of a tree. He says the person that comes hungry to Yahweh is going to be like a tree, a luxuriant Middle Eastern tree that is planted by the streams of waters. You see, when he says that the tree that is planted by the streams of water, in some ways it betrays where the author is. Because for the streams of water, he uses the word peleg, which means artificial canals that have been dug through in order to irrigate this tree and the land. Israel didn't have that. It's mostly dry. An arid territory, but if you are in the Babylonian exile, as a Jewish person was taken into exile in the 6th century, then, and you're writing it, then you've seen it. Because Babylon has those canals. A lot of them. And you're probably sitting in this foreign land. And you're probably thinking, is there any hope left? Can I walk with God in the midst of this? Even in exile, God can water you. God can bring you hope. And God can give you life. And he can make your way prosper. And it's going to be different from the wicked. Because they're going to be like chaff. And again, he gives us the agricultural imagery that every Jewish person would understand. You see, you went, uh, when, you, when you gathered your corn, you went to the threshing floor and you took your, your whatever, the shovel thing, and you threw up the corn up against a gentle breeze. And the breeze will blow away the trash. It would blow away infirmities. It would blow away the chaff. And he's saying, that's how the wicked life is going to be. But yours is going to be luxuriant. It's going to be firmly planted. I am a self-proclaimed avid indoorsman. I don't like outdoors. I mean, you know, a lot of men in this country, they have this obsession with mountains and changing their own oil and proving their masculinity by fly fishing for whales. I think I have enough, I have enough testosterone in my body that I don't have to prove anything. 
So I'm content to be indoors. The only time I ventured out was a number of years ago when my wife was pregnant with our fourth child. You see, Greta's on her way, and I wanted to bless my wife. <laughs> you know, she's pregnant, and she's a gardener. I mean, for three years, she worked really hard to make our front yard look fantastic. I mean, we had annuals, we have perennials, we have monthlies, we have dailies. I mean, there's like all kinds of things are popping up all over the yard and looks fantastic. But there's weeds that are coming in. So I looked at my wife. I said, honey, I got this covered. So I jumped in the car. I went to Lowe's. I got the biggest bottle of weed begun I could find. And I come back and I touched the hose and I read the instructions. And in my mind, you know, if I'm understanding this correctly as a political science major, somebody who's, who's been taught by Ohio State how to read, basic comprehension skills, I'm understanding that weed be gone is supposed to make weeds be gone. <laughs> it didn't say it kills everything in sight. So next thing you know, I'm standing in our front line, just kind of irrigating the land, <laughs> just spraying the grounds with weed be gone. I mean, within 15 minutes, I had every plant inside killed, annihilated, wiped out completely. Three years of labor of love goes out the window. And my crowning action was we had this brand new maple tree that we had just planted. My kids had grown it in their backyard from this little maple seed. And it sprouted. It's standing there. So I'm, and, but it, some weeds have been growing on it. So I'm, my final act of gardening, I just kind of point this gun and just hose the thing down, up and down. It was still resilient enough that it survived. And it's standing in our front yard as the vivid living reminder that I should never touch any gardening tool ever. <laughs> but it's far from being healthy. <laughs> it has weird spots all over it. <laughs> you can come see it. <laughs> For $5, I can give you a little tour. <laughs> but the idea is that whether you are Israel in exile or whether you're a follower of Jesus in the 21st century, God is saying, there's not going to be some whacked out Eastern European gardener coming at you with a weed begun of faith. And he's able to take you out. Because my hand is on you. Because the way this psalm ends is as crucial the way it began. It says, the way of the wicked will perish, but Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. You see, he uses the word to know that's yada, which is very personal and intimate. Often it describes a relationship between a married couple. He says, God knows and is intimately acquainted with where you are. And you see, I cheated a little bit. I didn't tell you what was inside that picture of a blessed human being. And that is the picture. The blessed one is the one whom Yahweh knows. The blessed one is the one that but it lasts into eternity. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for scriptures. Lord, thank you for psalms. Thank you for this prayer book that you have entrusted us with.